Well, hello there. Welcome in to Downtown the Podcast. Rich Kimball and Carrie Haskell with you from our Zone Radio Studios in Bangor, Maine. It's where our daily show, Downtown, originates from every weekday afternoon at 4 o'clock Eastern Time on WZON Radio, WKIT HD3. Streaming audio on our website at downtownwithrichkimball.com and from the WZON app. We're brought to you every week on the podcast by Cross Insurance, where security meets strength, and by Nice Brewing Company, German-style beer from the woods of Maine. What are we up to, Carrie? Is this 33, 34? This is 34. Oh, my Lord. Pretty soon we'll have a set. Uh, We've got a good combination of guests for you this week. Here in the midst of the holiday season, our friend, writer, and critic Colin Fleming looks back at some of the memorable Rankin-Bass Christmas specials from the 1960s and 70s. And we talk with comedian and writer Josh Gondelman about uh, what he's got going these days, including a brand new job. Let's start with that. Uh, Josh Gondelman, a very successful stand-up comedian and a longtime writer for Last Week Tonight with John Oliver. But he's changed jobs, now writing for a brand new Showtime series that debuts next year, Desus and Marrow. And he was recently in Vermont doing some stand-up shows and recording them for a future album. We talked about all those things recently with our friend, comedian Josh Gondel. Does it add any extra level of stress to you uh, when you're out there doing a show and, and knowing that the tapes are rolling and this will be recorded for posterity? I'm really psyched about it. I think it helps me kind of be present in the moment to go like, okay, what is it that I'm really here to say? And then to like, if something happens in the room to really like acknowledge it, I feel like, you know, I'm not trying to just barrel through. I like really want to like be there and give it my all even more than usual and just be like extra, um, extra with this audience. So I think like there is a level of, extra preparation that I want to do to make sure that I don't like miss whole swaths of material <laughs> because I start riffing or doing whatever. Cause I really like this hour and want to get it to committed, uh, committed to record. But I also, um, I also think it's like doing an album is really fun because you can kind of like hyper-focus on the performance itself. Did you listen to comedy albums as a kid? And, and if you did, uh, who, who were some of the people who influenced you uh, or at least helped shape your, your sense of humor as a young man? Oh my gosh, sure. Um, I love comedy albums. I mean, like, uh, my dad would always play me, like, Smothers Brothers and, like, Fire Sign Theater, and I had Monty Python stuff, so, like, old school stuff uh, that I kind of inherited. And then um, I really, I, I mean, I feel like everybody gets into Carlin, like, as a teenager, and he's the best. And, um, gosh, who, I mean, it's like, it's, it may be uncool to say, but, like, Jeff Fox or these, album you might be a redneck was like really influential Ellen DeGeneres had an album called I think Taste This and it was just like such strong stand up and you can see why she's like the giant success that she is she's just like killer stuff and and, I mean like this is like deeply fraught now but I remember being a young person and my dad being like you gotta listen to Bill Cosby which like at the time was uh, a wonderful thing to share and now is like a, a deeply tainted memory. I know I have, you know, I have those albums from when I was a kid. And every time I, I, I have a room with a, with my record player and I'll see to Russell, my brother whom I slept with. And I think of all the yeah. great memories. And then I don't know that I can ever listen to it again. Yeah. That's how I feel too. I think it's like very, I like cherish my past enjoyment of it, but it's also like, 
I don't think I can listen to this band's work and be like, hmm, I still like this. Mm. Uh, we're talking with Josh Gondelman here on Downtown. Well, exciting times for you. You've got a brand new gig as well uh, after several years with Last Week Tonight with John Oliver uh, writing for a brand new series, but but not really a new series, guys, that have been uh, getting it done on Viceland. Uh, Desus and Marrow coming to Showtime soon. Tell us how that all came to pass. Oh, I'm so excited. I, like, re- I'm a really big fan, and so I was asked to come in and and talk with them, interview for this job, and I really love and appreciate it. All the time I spent at Last Week Tonight, it was just like an incredible experience. I was there five seasons, and uh, couldn't have been greater. And so, but I got this opportunity, and it was really exciting to kind of like turn things, work with people with kind of a different comedic sensibility and voice. And uh, my office is in the same building, so my life <laughs> is very similar. Uh, my commute is the same. Uh, it's three floors higher, so that's uh, I guess it's a slightly longer commute. But I'm just like so excited to get to help kind of be on this team with the show from the beginning, and and, and like help make the show that that the guys at Jesus and Marrow really want to make, and like give and, and you know lend whatever help that I can to like make this really fun and exciting. And I think it will be. I'm like super super psyched to be on television. And for anybody who's not familiar with your work, how, how would you describe the kind of show it's going to be? Oh, gosh. So it'll be a like a, a late-night show, and it's there's going to be kind of topical comedy stuff and guests. I don't, I can't say too much now uh, just because I think it's like it's all still firming up. But I think like the it will be um, it, it'll be a, like a late-night comedy variety show uh, with with the host Jesus and Nero who are so, 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 so funny. And this will be on Showtime, and is it uh, uh, January that it kicks off? February, February. I believe. I think that I can say because they, they announced it a couple weeks ago. It's going to be kicking off February 21st. It's a Thursday night at 11 on Showtime. All right, I have to ask you a few things about your personal life. Uh, I don't want to pry too much here, no. but uh, I... I... Is it hard uh, dealing with a wife who doesn't have any interest in hearing about the Time Lord, Robert Williams? <laughs> <laughs> you know, there are, there are areas where our interests overlap very much, and there are areas where they don't. And I uh, I think that Boston Celtics are, some, are uh, a focus of a lot of my attention lately, and my lovely, brilliant wife, Maris, could not care less about the Boston Celtics, <laughs> nor does she care about science fiction. So, like, right in that sweet spot of stuff she doesn't care about literally at all is a Celtics player with a science fiction <laughs> uh, Could you, as a very talented comedian and writer, find anything to laugh about in the end of that Patriots game the other day? Oh, that was the real, that was the real gut punch. I, like, honestly, I was, um, I was not at a TV, and then I just saw the description of the play, and was like I, I stayed away from it like like it was a sports injury. Like I couldn't like it was like you know how people on Twitter will be like, This guy just broke his leg, it's horrifying. Watch and I'll be like, Not gonna and that's how I felt about this sixty nine yard uh play that where Gronkowski was playing safety for some reason and oh I couldn't bear it. Yeah, it was it was like a soul injury to some Patriots fans who, who yeah, took it, it pretty hard. My goodness. People. It really it it hurt me. I thought that the NFL, like, I've tried to, like, keep it at arm's length just because it's such a, like, a 
weird organization run by shadowy billionaires who make themselves the center of it so often. And uh, I, I thought it couldn't hurt me anymore. And then I saw that and was like, oh, there's still some sensation left. <laughs> <laughs> Just when you think they can't hurt you anymore. Yeah, they, they really twist the knife. We're talking with Josh Gondelman here on Downtown. How's your pup doing? Oh, she's so good. Busy, just a, a, a fat little a fat little joy. Um, she's great. She's 11 years old, 11 years young, excuse me, and thriving. <laughs> she <laughs> loves our neighborhood in Brooklyn. We moved to a place where there are trees, so that's, oh. she's really excited for that. She loves weeds. That's like, imagine, I just like, I watch how much she loves like sniffing leaves, and I wish that I had a brain that were that easy to please. <laughs> if there were only something that could bring us joy in such a simple fashion as that. Yeah, exactly. Now, I also have to ask about this. I don't know that I brought it up before to you, but you're you're one of those people. I and I yeah, I'm judging a little bit. You're one of those people who drinks iced coffee year uh, round. Is that uh, oh, that's what, the nicest? That's the nicest way anyone has ever met one of those people. <laughs> <laughs> um, I am. I'm like a year-round iced coffee maniac. It is like truly an illness, and I just I love the taste of it, and I um, I prefer a cold beverage to a hot beverage in general. Unless I'm a little sick, I'll drink a hot tea, but like a hot coffee does nothing for me, and some of it is just like I'm sure you can appreciate being being from Maine. That like steadfast New England spite. Like the weather can't <laughs> tell me what to drink. And I I feel that in my bones. That's like a like a deeply New England quality in that like it's like those guys that wear shorts when it's forty degrees out. <laughs> this is my version of that of just like, you're not better than me, the sky. <laughs> You're like the uh, you're like the winter version of my father because he on like the hottest day in July would like nothing better than a nice hot hot cup of coffee. Oh, oh my gosh! I'm, makes I'm me feel better. Just thinking about it, <laughs> and, and probably a flannel shirt as well. Always, yes. <laughs> Oh yeah. We look forward to the album. Is there a timeline for when that might be available? I I think it'll be out in the spring. I'm really excited about it. Like maybe March or April is the is the ballpark where I'm saying where where maybe it it kind of depends on what medium we're putting out. I think it might be I think we might do vinyl and digital. So like vinyl takes a little longer than like pressing CDs or just doing download cards. So um, I'm hoping no later than April. Well, that's fantastic. Well, we wish you luck with that. Can't wait to hear the album and can't wait for Jesus and Mero when it comes to Showtime later on this winter. Uh, tremendous success on that program. I know we'll follow you, Josh. Always great for us to talk with you. Thanks so much for making time for us. Thanks so much for having me. Always a treat. That's Josh Gondelman here on Downtown, the podcast. When we come back, we look back at those Rankin-Bass Christmas specials with writer and critic Colin Fleming. First, this word from Cross Insurance. Since its founding in 1954, Cross Insurance has grown from a small family-owned agency that started in Bangor, Maine, into one of the largest super regional insurance agencies in New England. With the network of offices throughout New England, Cross Insurance works with top carriers to provide maximum value to you, your family, and your business. We are proud to be the official insurance broker of the New England Patriots and would welcome the chance to provide security for your team. For more information, visit CrossInsurance.com. Cross Insurance, where security 
security meets strength. Five years ago, a couple of friends got together to create balanced beers that pay respect to the rich German tradition of brewing, all layered with the nuance and eccentricity of modern brewing. And with that, Nice Brewing Company was born. That's Nice, G-N-E-I-S-S. Based in Limerick, Maine, right in the foothills of the White Mountains, Dustin and Tim combine a love of beer, science, and their German heritage for truly unique brews. Whether it's the Nice Weiss, the Sonnenschein, IPAs, Stouts, or any of their seasonal offerings, you'll love what they've got brewing at Nice. Ask for beers from Nice at your favorite restaurant or bar and look for Nice beer in cans all around the state of Maine. Work hard, play hard, be nice. Twas the night before Christmas when all through the house not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care in the hopes that St. Nicholas would soon be there. That is the opening of 1974's Twas the Night Before Christmas, one of the many terrific Rankin-Bass holiday specials. And we're here to talk about that. It's our friend Colin Fleming. I love the sounds of that special. And I understand, sir, that up in Maine, this time of year, they call you Mr. Ten Below in honor of the gold miser. (laughs) No Uh, miser. I love the misers. I love them so much. Uh, what uh, what spurred your affinity for the Rankin Bass collection? I think it was probably when I was a kid. I saw Rudolph. So that comes out in '64, and I was born in '75. And it was one of the only Christmas specials you would have seen as a kid at that time, which sounds hard to believe now with everything just coming at us from all directions, right? Like some proton accelerator. But that was pretty much it. You get the Charlie Brown one. So that was kind of one of your go-tos. A lot of the Christmas films that aired at the holidays, they were on past a kid's bedtime, right? Mm. So. Rudolph was an early one, and it just seems so imaginative and fanciful to me. And I like the idea of Rudolph is on his own, and as a kid, you feel like you're on your own. And then he kind of gets his like this little posse, right, with Yukon Cornelius and Hermie. And that's like what you do with your little friends at that age, right? You find your little buddies, and you have your little group. And I liked how selfless Rudolph was, that he didn't want to endanger his friends. And I thought, geez, he's really kind of like a loyal Deer. He's sort of like what you want to be. And it was just so fantastically tuneful for me. I remember we had this breezeway off of our house in Mansfield and Great Woods that the concert establishment was named for. It was our backyard. And I'm in the breezeway. And Santa is doing his thing where he's saying that he's, he's the king of jingling and everything. And I thought, <laughs> you know what? Enough of this. I will not sit down any longer. And I started rocking out hard, like <laughs> dancing my, my, my little self away. My dad walks in, and he was kind of like a stoic guy. And he looks at me and said, enjoying that one? And I'm like, oh, yeah, this is awesome. Let's do some of this. So I was pretty much hooked for life then. I, I love Rudolph and the, the, the nitwits, the, the turds out there that uh, have turned revisionists and are finding all the things wrong with Rudolph. Just stop. Just stop yourselves. In our demonic world of inversion, what's good is bad, what's bad is good, and everything is topsy-turvy, inside out, and not right. Like, if you're looking to be offended by Rudolph and Hermie and Yukon and all of that, 
you have other things that you really ought to be contending with, I would say, in your own life. And Dickens loved the holidays for their celebratory side, but he also saw it as a time when we would become almost actuaries in our own lives, where we would take stock of what had happened, where we wished to go. It wasn't really so much about just that Christmas. It was about your future Christmases and the person you would be then. And I would advise those people to sort of check themselves with that, with Rudolph. Is there is there bullying in it? And is Santa throughout Rankin-Bass? It's a very Old Testament Santa. <laughs> He's not like a good dude. He's kind of hardcore. He's He's not mellowed enough for like a New Testament kind of lovey-dovey Santa. But kids are bullied. And when you attempt to eradicate bullying from the world and to make us never look and see it for what it is, you're setting up people that you ostensibly care about to have a worse time with it. And I was picked on as a kid. When I was in high school, I was recruited to play college at like Boston College, BU. But I was this person who was working on his writing at the same time. And even then, when you'd think you'd be like the big man on campus, like Jockstar, I was I was picked on by people, and I learned to deal with it and to handle myself. And that's why I could be someone who comes on your air and says, as a grown-up, as an adult, yeah, I love Rudolph. And as much as I enjoy having it on Blu-ray, which I can't find right now with the disarray my life is in, there is something precious about watching Rudolph live each year. It's just better mm. live. And that's also why we're so happy to have you on our own island of misfit toys. Now, I have a lot of things to unpack here. I want to ask you uh, first about how the abominable snowman led to a story of yours in an upcoming book and the connection to Radiohead. Sure. So the second one first. If you look at the art design of Rudolph and the island of misfit toys, where you have kind of those glacial moraines and everything and all those weird jagged angels angles of the peaks of everything and how white that sort of snow is that it's almost crystalline look at the cover of radiohead's kid a it is half inched right from the rudolph mise en scene which has always just kind of made me like that album <laughs> though i think it's their best a little bit more and as for me I have a book coming out called Buried on the Beaches, Cape Stories for Hooked Hearts and Driftwood Souls, and each of the, in the spring. And each of the stories takes place in a different town on the Cape. And you could be from San Jose and have no clue what Cape Cod is, and you're going to connect with human characters and everything. But one of the characters, one of the stories, is riding the bus. His life has fallen apart, and he's basically just riding the bus around Cape Cod. He tries to figure out what he's going to do next with his life, post-divorce and everything. And weirdly enough, even though he's going from town to town, there is a fellow traveler that keeps getting on the bus. And this guy had been like a horror host out in California, and he's moved out east to sort of get his own life going again. And he has this catchphrase. When he was a horror host, he was Mr. Chompers on the air. And you know the line <laughs> from Rudolph, he's nothing without his chompers. <laughs> and the story kind of builds from there. I, went, I used to go to a bar uh, maybe like eight or nine years ago, and there was a guy who would come in. You'd be the only one in the bar, this sad sack bar with this guy. And before he could order his first drink, he'd have to solemnly shake his head and say, I'm nothing without my chompers. I thought, geez, <laughs> wow. What a weird intertextual aside. It's the world of Rudolph. It's so pervasive. And then years and years later, it grew up into this titular story of Mr. Chompers. 
I look forward to reading that. We're talking with Colin Fleming here on Downtown about the Rankin Bass Christmas specials, and, and you have some tips for viewing these shows. I do. You want to screen them live when you can, and I know they cut out some bits, but it feels really cool. It's like we talked about the Twilight Zone Marathon, which is coming back this mm-hmm. year, and how even though you're seeing the shortened versions of those those programs, it just feels like you're in on a kind of communal Christmas thing when you watch these and know that other people are watching them at the same time. They're great to have mm. on as kind of television wallpaper while you're doing something else. And also, you can find many a ready tip from Year Without a Santa Claus for Halloween costumes, because some of these specials get so, and this isn't even one of the strangest, but they get so Weird. And another kind of epiphany for me is when Snow Miser popped out the first time I saw that, which <laughs> probably wasn't long after Rudolph. And I've heard people say that you would give them nightmares. Now, these two brothers who, comp- who control the weather, they hate each other. And it's always irked me, even as a kid. Their names, it's not parallel structure. He is Heat Miser, and the other dude should be Cold Miser, but he's Snow Miser. <laughs> Yet at the same time, they each have their own song, and it has the exact same arrangement, the exact same bridge. It's like they went to the Rankin Bass Brill Building of Christmas <laughs> tunes. And that part when Snow Miser, I realized how funny these specials could be. He comes out, he does his song, he's dancing around, and then that little jump cut when the little versions of him come out with a top hat. I just felt like, oh my goodness, you Snow Miser. More like narcissistic miser, but of course no one would get that. I just I thought it was hilarious. And Mrs. Claus in that special, who is actually Shirley Booth from Hazel, right. remember that not too great show. And she was like in her late seventies when she did that, and she still lived on until nineteen ninety two. And basically, the entire premise for that special is Santa Claus gets up on Christmas and he says, "Screw this, I'm not doing it this year." <laughs> to go be Santa Claus. And he essentially says, no, it'll teach the kids that life is real. <laughs> so he tries to pick up the swag for him, and it goes really awry. And he comes in the 11th hour and doesn't even really save any. It's kind of like one of those Kimball, uh, those five to two, scores five to two in the ninth inning, and he picks up the save, right, when there's already two up. <laughs> Santa Claus comes in and basically does that. It's like, yeah, you can throw wreaths of glory at me. Thanks. Also, uh, would be remiss if we didn't mention the contributions of the great Paul Fries. Uh, always has a place in my heart for his role as Boris Badenov on Rocky and Bullwinkle. But, uh, man, in that hall of voiceover fame, you know, there's Paul Fries, there's June Foray, Mel Blanc, Dawes Butler. They don't get, get much better than what Paul Fries did. Fries was so many voices in the Beatles cartoon. And before even Animagic or the Claymation or cartoons that he was in, He'd be like the alien voice in Earth versus the Flying Saucers. He did so much. And if you're wondering who he might be within the Rankin-Bass universe, he's basically like 60% of the people. Mm. So kind of a go-to sound for him is he's Santa in the 1969, the original Frosty. He kind of has that gruff voice. In Year Without a Santa Claus, he's a Burgermeister, Meister Burger, (laughs) and... He'll play three or four parts in, in, in most of them. He's, he's not, I don't think he's in my favorite. My favorite one is the one you played at the beginning. It's Twist the Night right. Before Christmas. And 
People don't really know that one as well. It's short. It's like 24 minutes long, and it's cartoon. You could either get cartoon or you got the animagic, as the term was. <laughs> and it's, again, it's so tuneful, and it's that Old Testament fancy saying, he gets, it's funny, he gets an anonymous letter that basically says, you're not all your, you're not the bee's knees, Santa. And I think that's so kind of apropos for right now, like an anonymous letter. <laughs> Put your name on it, you coward. And so Santa says, fine, I'm not going to your town. And they try to woo him back by building this clock. And a lot of it happens at night. And the skyline, it reminds me a little bit of the skyline of, of a seaport like Gloucester. And you have mice messing things up and mice and humans trying to fix things. And I know you have put on your Christmas onesie, Mr. Kimball, and hopped <laughs> around at night to even a miracle. Oh, it's in my, in my head now. Even a miracle needs a hand. That one I could listen to on a loop and just eat candy canes until I passed out and gorged. <laughs> I love it. you got to watch them and now use Colin's tips to enjoy even more uh, the Rankin Bass specials. Uh, visit Colin's website, colinflemminglit.com. Subscribe to his blog. I love the story today. We, we, the story you shared about uh, stopping in that that little pizza place that you said was uh, short on personality but amazing food with your dad. That, that's one of the, the neatest stories I've read. Oh, yeah, the Town Spa, which is uh, it's still a pizza place in Stoughton, Mass., but it used to be kind of this cheers sort of cheap jack place where the restaurant area was above the bar. And I remember we would go there after, like, hockey practice. And I was there one time with my dad, and I think this came up because – Harold Baines was a questionable Hall of Fame selection <laughs> for a lot of people the other day. And we were there like in 82, so I'm six years old and watching the Red Sox play the White Sox. And Baines made a throw from the outfield. And I thought to myself, he has a really good arm. And my dad, again, not a huge compliment to Spencer, said, nice throw. I thought, <laughs> oh, I was even more right than I thought it I was. So it was nice, uh, nice little memory and great, great pizza. That's Colin Fleming talking about the Rankin-Bass Christmas specials here on Downtown the Podcast. Our thanks to Colin and writer and stand-up comedian Josh Gondelman. I'll be looking for that album in the coming year, as well as the new show he's working on, Jesus and Marrow, on Showtime. That'll wrap it up for this week's podcast. We'll see you next time. For Carrie Haskell, it's Rich Kimball reminding you that Downtown the Podcast is brought to you by Nice Brewing Company, German-style beer from the woods of Maine, and by Cross Insurance, where security meets strength.